Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday morning. So I'm doing good. How are you? Where'd that come from? Oh, right there. Good, good to see you, man. Good. Go else, huh? Yeah. And those online, thank you for joining us online. I know we got so many folks, you know, traveling different places of the world, even people stationed, you know, all around the globe and a place that in true worth. Man, it's so good to be with you connected in this way in worship. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to find a book of Proverbs. We're going back there again. We're going to start off in chapter 12. We're going to walk around the room. If you need a Bible, they'll put one in your hands. We're going to do a lot of walking, a lot of work in Proverbs this morning. Uh, this may again be one of those mornings where you want to take a, some notes. Uh, we're going to give you a process. You can practice a tool in your life. Now, while that is getting situated, I want to say something to all the parents here. might put you on notice. Two weeks from this weekend... Our subject matter in worship may not be appropriate for younger children. Teenagers and up, it will be. You may want them to be a part of that. But we're going to kind of dig in the Word about what it says, some sensitive matters on relationships uh, on this, and two weekends from this weekend. So I'm just kind of, I'll, tell, I'll remind you next weekend as well, uh, but just kind of giving parents uh, a heads up. So here's the deal. You get a letter in the mail. It's from an old friend. Someone you went to high school with, someone you grew up going to church with. They've been following you and noticing you on Facebook and trying to reconnect with you, but they give you a letter in the mail. It's registered. It's a letter to you in this big old prospectus in the mail. And they begin connecting with you, just kind of old times, having a conversation. Uh, and they share with you, hey, they miss seeing you. I mean, it's great seeing like your family's doing well. I'm glad you're still in church. But I will tell you that, you know, I've left the church. I found the faith kind of restrictive. And so, but I'm, but I'm glad it's still working for you. But that's really not the point of my letter. I, I've got enclosed in here a prospectus for a business opportunity. You know, what, what, what you need to know is that God has been good to me, as it seems like. I'm not sure if I believe in God, but it's been pretty good for me. I've got 29 restaurants on the West Coast. It's called California Dreaming. And God, I really feel a sense that I've got to move out to another place. And I feel like I'm going to Burleson. I'm going to put one of these restaurants in Burleson. And I noticed you live in Burleson. I thought, hey, good time for us to connect. And so I, I want to give you about 14 days to think about this offer for old time's sake, us going into this business arrangement together. Uh, so much cash you got to put together, whatever, 14 days. And I think you'll really find it be a really good deal. And you need to know about the restaurant. It's uh, The food's good. The food's really good. And uh, the service is impeccable. The decor is really cool. People really like the decor. The prices are moderate. They're right in the good range that most families can attend. And the profits are off the chain. I will tell you that I'm making a half a million a year off of each of my restaurants. So if you go into partnership with me, and I hope you will, is that right there in Burleson, is that you're going to get half. I'll do it. We'll split it 50-50. You get 250 I'll get 250. So I've got this letter too, and I'm thinking about this opportunity. I'm going, man, this is kind of intriguing. You know, I mean, I could use some extra money with things that are going on in my life right now. And in fact, I could also use a little fun money. You, you know, you remember that 63, 68 Corvette, Rick, the convertible, the blue one with the tan, the rag tan top? Yeah. Finally, you might get that sucker. Finally. And, and yeah, you got this granddaughter. She's going to be going to college here in about 18 years, 17 years, and you kind of start a little fun for her. That'd be a good idea. Hey, and Rick, remember, you 
you in Dallas, you have your 40th wedding anniversary coming up in January. You could do something really romantic for her. Yeah, God, I, I could get her some pots and pans or something like that for the kitchen or something like that. I, I could do that. Yeah, that, that sounds kind of good. And, and you, know, you know I would tithe on it. I mean, I would do 10%. In fact, I'll tell you what, I do this deal, I'll do 20%. Because I know the upstairs part of our youth, that's kind of been neglected for a while. We want to upgrade and expand for our youth department. We really want to do that right now. We're planning. I will kind of lead the charge God with this thing, and I'll give an extra to make all that sort of happen. So, you know, I, I kind of think this deal, it really sounds pretty good. I think I'll do this, Bill, but, but, I'm, but I'm going to look at the Proverbs since we're studying that to see what it has to say. And so I'm in chapter 12, and the first proverb we're going to read is in verse 15. And you're reading this too because you're considering the same opportunity. And it says, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Okay, all right, I, I'm open to a little bit of advice here. I'm turning over to chapter 14 now. I'm looking at verse 15, uh, verse 12, verse 12. It says, there is a way that leads, to, appears to be right. Now, I'm thinking it's right. I mean, it's feeling right. But in the end, it leads to death. Well, I don't want anybody to die, but... But still, it feels right. It's feeling kind of right for me. In verse 15, then it goes on, the simple believe anything, but the prudent, they give thought to their decisions. Well, I'm giving their steps. I mean, I'm giving thought to it, you know, and I think I'm going to do it. And I'm beginning to question, why do I want to go to a 7,000-year-old book to help me make a decision? After all, I'm pretty good at making decisions. I've made a lot of good decisions in my life on my own. And I know I have some blind spots. I know sometimes I can be an eternal optimist. I can always be looking on the optimistic side. I know that about me. But when you look at my life, I would say I've made some pretty good decisions. I've got a pretty good batting average. In fact, I put my average against anybody else's. And I only have 14 days here to make this decision. I just can't spend all this time in this wheels being indecisive. I gotta move on this deal or I'm gonna miss out. But, but, I, but I'll check one other, maybe a few more here. So I go over to Saul, excuse me, Proverbs 21, verse 5. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Well, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for profit. I'm looking for more profit. In fact, I need more profit. And then it goes on, as surely as haste, Leads to poverty, huh? But doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that uh, he who hesitates is lost? Isn't that in the Bible? Or is that Confucius? Or was that in a fortune cookie? I'm not sure. Is that, is that in the Bible? Is that, is that in the Bible somewhere? I, you know, I think I'll, I'll just keep on because I hear people keep telling me to read this Proverbs 3 thing. It seems like everybody does the Proverbs 3. So I'll check that out just in case. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Oh, yeah. Oh, there, there it is. It says, okay, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, wait a minute. It's my understanding that's got me to where I am in life. <laughs> I mean, I think I've done a pretty good job of getting where I am in life with my own understanding. Why would I want to check my brains at the door now? No, I, th I think I'll just keep my understanding intact. It's pretty good. Verse 6, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. That's what I'm looking for. Lead me straight to an extra $250,000 a year. That's the verse I'm going to focus on right there. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Let me push pause for a second. Let's stop. 
every weekend in this place, live in the room and watching online from all over. There are people who come to worship about to make a critical crossroads decision. I know there are many of you who find yourself at a critical crossroads and you've got to make a choice. And some of your decisions have to do with the relationship. Sometimes that decision has to do with your future, where you're going to live, where you're going to go to school, take that promotion, take that job opportunity. Sometimes that decision is a financial decision that has weighty consequences upon it. Sometimes that decision is about your health. You have to do something, make the call about something regarding your health. And it's a critical decision, and you have to get the decision right. Because if you get it wrong, the negative consequences could be huge. This morning, I'm going to lay out for you in Scripture what I'm going to call a wise decision-making process. A process that you can put in any decision that you have to make in your life that comes straight from God's Word that you can translate into any sort of thing you're wrestling with. So if you want to take notes, we're getting ready to dive in that way. And here's the first thing we've already learned from the Word. Be leery of my personal intuition. Be leery. That's what it means when he says in chapter 3, verse 5, lean not on your own understanding. Be cautious about your personal intuition. Now, Solomon here, he is not challenging your IQ or your intellect. In fact, if Solomon was right here in this room, in the flesh, or with you online or down at True Worth, and he knew you were making this decision, here's what I think he would do. He would come to you, place his hand upon your shoulder, look you in the eyes, and he would say, I know you're smart. God gave you those brains. You're smart. And I know you have made a lot of good decisions in your But be careful on this one. Don't get cocky. Wiser people than you have got this wrong. You've gotten a few wrong yourself. So I want to encourage you, don't lean on your own understanding, but to invite God into this decision-making process. God loves you. God knows what you're wrestling with. And he's got some wisdom that he wants to share with you to help you. First one, be leery of your own personal intuition. Now, the second one is kind of a a trinity of three things that I want to call beware of decision-making enemies. That there's three enemies that the Scripture lays out that are enemies of you and I making wise decisions. And we already read about the first one, Proverbs 21, verse 5, where it says, haste leads to poverty. So the first one is haste. 
I have passed up on many a good, supposedly, quote unquote, good decisions that have come my way because I had to make them quickly and I did not have the time to consider everything to make a good decision. Hey, Rick, you want to jump in on this deal? It's a good deal, man. You can join us. 48 hours max. That's all you got. I mean, I don't think I can consider all the information I need to in 48 hours. He said, well, then you're going to miss out. Well, I guess I'm going to miss out. Listen, anybody, anytime somebody lays that on me, almost always, immediately, I'm out. Because the scripture is very clear. When you hastily decide, when someone's putting the pressure on you, it leads to some sort of poverty. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and financially. It does. Haste. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. No, go to 15. We'll come back to that one. Go to 15. Chapter 15, verse 1. Here's the second enemy. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's the second enemy of wise decision-making, anger. Is there anyone here that could testify that you have made wise decisions when you were really, really angry. Fifth grade, after the baseball game, coaches talking, players were all kneeling. Remember it like it was yesterday, vividly. Dad, angry dad, walks into the huddle yelling, cursing at the coach because his son did not get to play where the dad wanted him to play as long as the dad wanted him to play. And the, and the, and the dad walks into the huddle, winds up on top of the coach, beating the coach in the face. I'm a fifth grader sitting right back next to the coach where this happened. I can still picture the man's eyes lost control, just infuriated. Bad decision impacted a lot of people. I still remember it like yesterday. Fifteen years ago, late at night, around 10 o'clock, pounding on our door. I'm talking pounding. No doorbell. I mean pounding. Finally go to the door. Man, my gosh, 10 o'clock. You're going to wake up Justin, our oldest son, right by the... And I walk to the door, open the door, and there's this gentleman. And, he, and I say gentleman. He's, he's out there kind of on the edge of the sidewalk, and he's... He's bowed up and his face is red and his, I, I think he's going to bull rush me. You, 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 and that is part of our, part of this church family. Wife, very active in the life of the church, sold out to Jesus and was serving some. And he's kind of upset about that, blaming me that their marriage is in trouble because she's not giving him the attention he needs and not be at home at his beck and call. I mean, he's ready to deck me. See him in worship later. As soon as he sees me, he just kind of ducks his head and walks the other way. Man, when you lose your cool, we rarely make good decisions. 
I'm out in the crossing after worship, and this woman comes walking up to me, and she has sunglasses on. No big deal. It's sunny outside. She's about to walk out the door, go to her car, and to leave. So I don't think anything of it. She, but she comes up to me, and she says, uh, uh, Pastor, would you pray for my marriage? I said, yeah. And she said, would you, would you pray? I know she's kind of embarrassed. She says, I could tell. She's feeling very, would you pray that I'm a better wife? I need to be a better wife. And the Holy Spirit just kind of nudged me, just kind of nudged me and said, Rick, ask her to take her glasses off. And I thought that was kind of weird, but I've learned over the years because it's not, it wasn't weird for her to have her glasses on. She's getting ready to leave outside and it's real sunny, it's bright in the crossing. But I've learned over the years not to ignore those nudges. And so I said, ma'am, would you mind taking your glasses off before I pray? And she did. Just black eyes, just all bruised up this way. I asked, is your husband hitting you? And she said, I just need to be a better wife. I just, I just please pray that I would be, I can be a better wife. And so I just pulled her aside and I brought a woman into the conversation with me. And I said, listen, listen, I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you need to be a better wife. Maybe you do, but I will tell you, I don't care what the situation is. It's not okay for your husband to hit you. He cannot hit you. You have to get out of there. And we got her out of there that day. I want to say something to the men watching online and in the house. Let there be no misunderstanding whatsoever. It is never, ever, 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 ever okay for a man to raise his hand or to raise his fist, especially when you are angry, and to bring it against a woman or a child. In a fit of rage, especially, it's not okay. And if you're someone who has that tendency and you got a short fuse and sometimes you get there and you feel this, please, you can go to a Christian counselor and they can help you to manage your anger. We're all going to get angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. To learn how to manage it. And you can learn how to manage it. Ladies, let me turn this up. Ladies and the children, students. I would encourage you, don't stay in a house where a man is hitting you and their anger's always right there just ready to... And they... If they hit you once, they'll hit you again. And they'll hit you again. Students, you got to learn to know the difference between hitting and spanking. There is a difference between spanking, okay? There is a difference. I'm not saying in the spanking thing. I'm talking about hitting, anger, fury, unleashing. And if you're a student and you find yourself in that situation, please talk to a counselor at school, talk to a coach, talk to a neighbor, talk to a, a youth sponsor, talk to one of the staff here at your church, get some help. I will just tell you, how many of you have done something stupid in an email with anger, right? Somebody gives you an email, you go, well, I'm not going to do that. You go, bam, and you send it back. Anybody ever done that? Anybody know that? I know you have. I've gotten them. Yeah, you send it to me, I'm going, whoa, some stinging criticism. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. I want to bam you back. 
But I go, you know, I can't do that. It's not a wise thing to do. So I'll just kind of, I have a 48 hour rule on those sort of things. I just kind of back up. I add that to my 10, 10, 10, and there's 48 hours. And I think about it before I send any sort of reply back. Because man, we never, ever, ever make wise decisions under the influence of anger. Ever, ever, ever. What part of ever do we not get? Here's the third one. Back into Proverbs chapter 20. That's where we were a while ago. Proverbs 20 verse 1. Proverbs 20 verse 1. It says, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. In other words, it is alcohol. Man, we make some of the worst decisions of our make we ever make under the influence of alcohol. But instead of quoting Proverbs, quoting Solomon, I want to quote the great theologian Brad Paisley, <laughs> who in one of his country music songs called Alcohol says it better than Solomon ever could. I believe it came straight from God. And, and here's what he says in the first person of alcohol. i read some of the lyrics. I can make anybody pretty. I can make you believe any lie. I can make you pick a fight with somebody twice your size. I'm alcohol. I got you in trouble in high school and college now. That was a ball. You had some of the best times you'll never remember with me. I'm alcohol. I get blamed that I was, I got blamed at your wedding reception for your best man's uh, embarrassing speech. And also for those naked pictures of you at the beach. And I'll bet you a drink I can make you put that lampshade on your head. I'm alcohol. A friend once told me, he said, Pastor, when, when, when I drink, it's like I've just taken the idiot pill. <laughs> now, I want to be really clear on this. Before somebody gets all bent out of shape, because I can see some of you getting all bent out of shape right now. You're just kind of twisting up just like that right now. <laughs> Jesus drank wine. Jesus made wine at the wedding. So don't get so wound up, you know, in a wad there. But the Bible is clear about the warning. of allowing ourselves to be too much under the influence of alcohol and the decisions that we make under that influence. And you know if you're drinking too much. You know. You know. And if you're married to someone who drinks too much, you have some really hard decisions to make. If your marriage is going to be what God wants it to be, some really hard decisions to manage. So, so far, you know, that's kind of what we have. All these things not, not to do, not to do, not to do. So what about things that I can do? What Going forward with this. So let's go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Let's look at this again. And we're going to lay out here the things that we can do on a, on a proactive basis to get God's wisdom into whatever decisions we have to make. These are the things not to do. Verse uh, Proverbs 3, there it is again, that verse 5 thing again. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In your notes, number 3. I'm going to formally invite invite God's wisdom into my decision-making process. 
I'm going to formally invite. This is the key. This right here is what you want to hang on to of making any wise decision in your life. And you're answering a question. Here's what you're doing. You're saying, whose wisdom am I really going to listen to? Am I going to listen to my wisdom or God's wisdom? Am I going to listen to conventional wisdom or God's wisdom? Am I going to listen to Oprah's wisdom? Am I going to listen to Dr. Phil's wisdom? Am I going to listen to Ellen's wisdom? Am I going to listen to CNN wisdom? Am I going to listen to Fox News wisdom? Or am I going to listen to the wisdom of God? And I make this declaration, God, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for your wisdom. I'm inviting you in. And when you give it, I'm going to do what you say. Now, I'm going to be painfully practical with you. I'm going to take our little scenario. Here's what I would do if I had this sort of decision to make about the letter received in the mail. I would get my Bible. I would get my journal. I would get a pen, my glasses, whatever I need, and I would get the letter, the prospectus for the decision to be made, and I would go to my chair, my place, and I would carve out some time to be there. I would get out my journal. I've read the Bible, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and I would actually write down in my journal something like this. I would write it down. God, I trust you. I trust that you love me. I trust, God, that you have given me wisdom before. That's why I am where I am today. And, God, I trust you have the capacity to give me the wisdom for this situation right here. Here it comes. So, God, I am inviting you into this process. I'm inviting you to speak into my life and give me the wisdom that I need. And when you give it to me, I will follow your wisdom. I would write something like that down in my journal. You do it in your own words. Pastor, why are you belaboring such an obvious point? Here's why. Many times I'm out there in the crossing or I meet somebody out in public and they'll stop me. And they'll have a little decision to make or something, and they want some advice. And sometimes I'll ask the question. I'll ask, have you invited God into the conversation with you? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I have. I'm asking God for wisdom. And so I'll follow up with stuff like this. Well, okay, you have. Well, tell me. Tell me what you read in the Bible about it. Tell me when you sat down and you asked God. Tell me where you were when that happened. Where do, you, where do you do that sort of thing? What did you write down? Show me what you wrote down in your journal. Show me where you did something like this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Here's what I really believe. I believe that most people who say they follow Jesus, you really think you've invited God into your situation when you wrestle with it and you toss and turn and fret and worry about it all night long. Or maybe even you get a little T account, pros and cons, pros and cons, pros and cons, pros and cons. But, but I'm telling you, that is not inviting God's wisdom into the situation. That's you trying to wrestle with yourself and hoping God rubber stamps it. 
When you do what I just described and you figure out how to do it for yourself, you're going to experience something that some of you never experienced before. What's going to happen is this. Before God ever gives you the direction and before you ever make the decision, you're going to have a peace about it. You're not going to be worrying, fretting, doing all the, the, the pros and cons, pros and cons. You're going to go, you know what? I, God's got this. I put it in his hands. I trust God with all my heart, and I'm going to wait for the wisdom to come. And I'm just going to do that. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've done that before. And there's some of you are saying, okay, but how do you know when the wisdom comes? How do you recognize it, okay? I'm going to give you three ways you can receive God's wisdom, how God reveals that wisdom. But you've got to begin with seriously inviting him in. You've got to be intentional about the invitation. And the first one is God's word. God's word. 80% of every decision you have to make, 80% of the answers are already in God's word. Did you know that? It's already there. So you're, you're asking yourself, you're a business owner. You own a business. And you're thinking, okay, this year, we've done, had a pretty good year. Am I going to give the people, the staff who work for me a raise? I will promise you that answer is already in this book. Am I going to pay them a fair wage? The book is here. You work for somebody. You go to work for another company. And you're thinking is, okay, I'm thinking, am I going to go, am I going to figure out how to do the time clock, show up late, leave early, or maybe fudge on my Sphinx account, you know, because I'm really short. I need a little bit of extra. The answer's already in this book. Somebody hurt me. They really hurt me. They've asked me for forgiveness. Do I forgive them? Do I not forgive them? The answer's already in this book. See, this, this is why we ask you to saturate yourself in this book 15 to 20 minutes a day, daily, 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 daily. Because a lot of decisions that you are making so complicated, the Bible has a very simple answer. But you don't get the simple wisdom unless you're in the book. And God's Word is never going to be in conflict with the wisdom he's going to put into your life. It's always going to be one of the same. See, God is never going to guide you to cheat on your spouse and go shack up with somebody. God is never going to guide you to do that. He's not. God, God is never going to guide you to go into debt and to live beyond your means. God is never going to guide you to do it. That's contrary to his word. God is never going to guide you to do anything to your body that's going to hurt your body because your body is a temple. It's never going to conflict. And God will never guide you again to bet on the TCU Horn Frogs when they're playing Texas. <laughs> never again. I'm just saying, say, in this book, the Word of God, in the Word of God, it's always going to be consistent with the wisdom he's going to speak into your life. So, so this business deal, I just propositioned to you. Did you remember something? The guy said, I left the church because I felt it was too restrictive. 2 Corinthians 6.14, you may know what it says. It says, do not be yoked to unbelievers. In other words, do not enter into a covenant agreement of any kind, any sort of contract. And the marriage is a contract with anyone that's outside the faith. And so that, that by itself makes it a no deal, really, when you, when you understand the word. God's wisdom comes to the word. Secondly, is God, Bill B, is God, God whispers. I believe that God whispers into our life. I, I've never heard God speak out loud going, Rick. I've never seen something painted up in the sky, yes or no. Don't do it, go for it. I, I've never had that experience. 
I just haven't. But I've had the intuitive voice of God whispering to give me direction in my life. Hey, Rick, you need to do it more this way. I call it intuitive voice. But you got to learn how to listen. It's called prayerfully listening. Now, I'm going to show you a verse in the Bible. It's in one of the greatest powerful chapters in the whole book from Romans chapter 8. But it's a hidden little verse. It's verse 6. We're going to put it on the screen. Some of you want to go find it and mark it in your Bibles. And here's the verse. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Keep that up there for a second. The mind governed by the spirit is life. It's life-giving. It's joy-giving. It energizes me, and it gives me peace. It gives me a sense of calm, a sense of confidence. Now, I want to teach you something. It's not in your notes, but I call the life and peace test. The life and peace test. And this is how this works. So I got this business scenario, right? I'm in my chair. I have my Bible. I have my journal. And I got this prospectus for going into this business. And I have a decision to make. So here's what I would do. I would go into the mindset that I'm going to do this. And I would say, I would picture a Sunday afternoon. It's after five worship services on the weekend. We've had a bunch of baptisms. People have joined the church, had all these conversations in the crossing. Finally, at 2 o'clock, 2.30, I get home. And when I get home, I want to be with Dallas or my little granddaughter, Lennox. I just want to watch a show. I want to have something to eat and go to the gym. That's all I want. I'm ready to. I'm tired. I'm fulfilled, but I'm tired. And all of a sudden, the phone rings. And it's my buddy. He said, hey, Rick, man, we got a problem with the store in Burleson. Uh, the, the stove went out. The cook He quit, and the manager left with all today's cash. you got to get on that sucker. So I would picture myself, because in business, those sort of things happen. And I would ask myself the question, if that happens, is that going to give me life? Is that going to be life-giving or life-draining? Some of you are wired in such a way, it's life-energizing. Because you love that sort of challenge. You like solving problems in leadership and people and staffing and solving those little critical issues when things are falling apart. And, man, that would just really rock your world. Say, yeah, I can get all over that. Plus, I get the, the K. But for some of my, myself, I'm thinking, hey, okay, man, I just had a draining weekend. It was great. But I just need to stop. And Monday, it starts again. Do I really need that drama, possible drama in my life? And will the $250,000 a year overcome that just constant draining energy upon me. And so I would have to wrestle with that. Does it bring me life or does it bring me peace? All I'm saying is, if you apply this test, the Holy Spirit will whisper and will lead you and guide you gently in the way he wants you to go when you learn how to apply this test. And here's the last one, letter C, is wise counsel. Wise counsel. And I'm going to read some more scripture. I'm going to go to start in Proverbs chapter 11. We'll put all these up on the screen. I'm going to move rather quickly. Proverbs 11, verse 14. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. I'm going to Proverbs 15, verse 22. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. I'm going to Proverbs 24, uh, verse 6. Proverbs 24, verse 6. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Now, here's what Solomon is saying. 
He is emphasizing the importance when you have a critical decision to make that you invite people into your life to speak wisdom into your life to help you make this decision, that you don't make it on your own understanding. That's what he's saying. And it's presupposing that people are godly, they're mature, and they have some wisdom to offer. Church, I will tell you, I'm, before I say this, I've really wrestled with this thought that I'm about to pin out. Because when I wrote it in the text, I thought, I'm not sure if I want to make sure I can really say this. And I really thought about it, I can. Never, and there's the word, never again will I make a big, deci- a big decision in my life without inviting outside counsel and wisdom of people who love God, who walk close to Christ, who know me and love me without them speaking into my life. I'm just not going to do it. The Bible is clear about having that wise counsel in your life. And here's one of the reasons why I'm there, why I'm here today. In my younger years, I made some stupid decisions. And I'm not even sure I invited God sometimes into those decisions. Sometimes I think I already knew what I want to do. I just wanted God to say, yep, I agree. And I have learned that when I make a decision, especially as a leader, some of you, when you make a decision, it only impacts you. You're the only consequence. Big deal. But if you're in any position of leadership, you can make a decision that a lot of people have to pay the consequences. And if you own a business or you're a leader of a group of people or you're married, you need to understand you got to get it right. And sometimes the way you get it right is inviting people in who are also going to suffer the consequences, the good or the ill, to help speak wisdom and to take that counsel into consideration. I'm just saying, very clear from Scripture. So in this little situation right here, this prospectus of this job opportunity, of this 250K into my life, I would take this to my friends, and I, I know exactly what my friends would say. They would say, 14 days, huh? Really? I mean, these are smart business people. I got some business people friends. And they have four, four, 14 days, huh? And the guy doesn't even follow Christ anymore? Hmm. And they would say, you haven't seen him since high school? Is he solvent? Is he sober? Is he a serial killer? Has he served any time? I mean, do you really know this guy? I mean, do, I mean has he just showed up out of the blue? And then it would get rough, ugly. They'd ask the numbers. Are the numbers real? Does he really own a restaurant? Have you talked to a banker? Have you eaten the food? Have you talked to any staff? Have you checked on Yelp and TripAdvisor, any of the, 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 the ratings on the store? Do you know any of that information? Have you talked to any other investors? And you're going to do that in 14 days? They would skewer me to save me from myself. Let me ask you two questions. Here's the first one. Are you willing to humble yourself? Men, humble yourself and to go to sometimes to people around you and say, listen, I need some help. I need some help making a critical decision. I can't make this on my own. Are you willing to humble yourself? And the second one is, do you have anybody you can go to? Do you have anybody you can go to? 
You know what, what, what causes me to lose sleep at night? This is one of the few things that, ask, that I lose sleep at. People come to me and they ask me for advice. Say, after worship, Pastor, I'm, I got to, I'm doing this. What do I need to do? And I'll, I'll listen and give you the best quick answer that I can from this book. But I will tell you, sometimes it's like pastoral malpractice for me to give you an answer. You know why? Because I don't really know you. I don't know your story. I don't know the mistakes you've made. I don't know your proclivities, your tendencies, your habits. I don't know what you're good at. I don't know what you're bad at. And for me to try to, I don't know the whole story. And for me to try to tell you in just a few seconds. And so I'm wondering, do you have anybody you know that you really know who loves you and loves God and cares about the outcome of your life that you can invite into your life to give you wise counsel? And so many people I know in this church, the answer is no. So I go home, and I'm in bed, and I'm thinking of what you asked me, and I know you're flying solo, and you're going to make the same mistake again and again and again and again and again. That's why here in this church we say get connected in a small group. Just don't sit in the chair by yourself. Get connected here with people who know you and love you, who can help guide you when you come to that critical decision-making that you have to make. Please, please, please. Now, I see the time, and I need to, I need to let you. It's, it's 1130, and I need to let you go, and I understand that. But I have to ask you one more important question about decision-making. I wonder if there's anyone here that needs to make the decision to be reconciled back to the God who loves you. I'm just asking. A God who loves you, knows everything about you. The scripture says over in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? What does it profit a man to get every decision right? You get every single decision right from here to the day you die. Every decision right. Finances, physical health, relationship things, just perfect. But you get to the end of your life and there's one decision. One decision that you've never taken care of. And that's being reconciled back to the God who loves you. Who knows everything about you. And it is a decision. It's a decision to turn to the cross and say, God, I humble myself before you. All wise, all knowing, perfect, loving God who knows everything about me. And I humble myself and I tell you, God, I need your help because I can't do this thing called life by myself. I've made many a bad decision. Please forgive me. And I would ask you to send your son Jesus into my life to not just save me, but to be my Lord to be the one who guides me and leads me, and I will follow him. That's a decision. It's the smartest decision you'll ever make. You'll be glad forever that you did. So I'll just ask you before you leave here, does anybody need to make that decision right now? You can do that right now. You can do it any time. Well, pastor, you just said, don't be hasty. You're right. That's why we don't do altar calls here. But whenever you're ready, please, Stop by the next step and say, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to be in a small group. I'm ready. In the house, would you please stand? Watching online, true worth, would you please stand just for a moment? I want to give you a blessing. I just want to give you a blessing. And God, 
for these that are standing, these that are online, those that are true words. I just I ask for a, a, a large portion of your spirit to be poured upon your people, your love upon them, God. That they would know that you have wisdom to speak into their life and you care about their decision making. Whatever it is, you care. And you have so much to offer that you would move them, God, to invite you informally to speak and to whisper. And I ask you to do it so they get the decisions right. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. See you next weekend.